0: You're listening to the Sunshine Speechy Podcast. I'm your host, Nancy, bringing you all the information you need to know about getting into SLP graduate school and becoming a successful SLP. Join me every other Wednesday as I talk to SLP experts as well as undergraduate and graduate students just like you and I. If you're enjoying the podcast, please be sure to subscribe and leave a positive review. Make sure you don't miss out on additional resources and more by following me on Instagram at sunshine speechy. In addition, check out my YouTube channel where I share even more advice about the graduate school application process as well as my own experience in graduate school. Today, I'll be talking to a current SLP graduate student about how she was able to get herself off the waitlist and into her dream program. In addition, she'll share how she got involved in research at her university and received an award from ASHA for it. Let's get started sunshine 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 speechy Hey everyone and welcome back to the Sunshine Speechy podcast. I'm your host Nancy and today I'm joined by current graduate student Anne Marie. Hi Anne Marie, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having
0: me. Yeah, so just to start out, could you
1: tell us a little bit about yourself? So, right now I'm a graduate student. Um, I'll be graduating very soon with my master's in speech language pathology. And I also run an Etsy shop um, and an Instagram, all of which are speech language pathology themed. Awesome.
0: And what's your Instagram, just in case people want to follow? It's at Anne
1: Marie SLP2B with like the number two and the letter B. <laughs>
0: awesome. awesome. That's awesome. Um, So could you just give us a little background about your SLP grad school journey?
1: Sure. So I actually started off as a music student um, in my undergrad. I majored in vocal performance. And then, shortly after I graduated from my undergrad, I found that I had a really hard time singing. So I went to an ENT and an SLP, and I was diagnosed with muscle tension dysphonia. So, um, if you haven't taken your intro to voice class yet, or anyone listening, um, that's basically where your muscles are working a little too hard, um, making it harder to vocalize. So I had to work with an SLP to get my voice back. And it kind of made me realize that's something I would really wanna help do for other people, help them regain their voices. And the more I found out about the other things SLPs did, like working with um, people who are recovering from strokes and kids on the autism spectrum, it seemed like a really good fit for me. So I started taking classes online, Um, While I was teaching music, so I taught like private voice and piano lessons during um, in the afternoons and then I would do my classwork during the day and um, did that for like about a year or so until I um, went to grad school. So a little bit of a different journey, but it it is kind of hard to figure everything out, which is why I think it's so awesome. You're doing a whole Instagram and everything dedicated to it because it is pretty confusing, especially if you don't come from that field. Yeah,
0: thank you. Wow, that is such a cool story. I did not know about that disorder yet. So that's really cool. Um, Where did you take your online classes?
1: I did mine through a couple different places. Um, I actually didn't, since I majored in music, I didn't do any science or anything like that. So I had to take like intro to biology. I had to take like intro to chemistry. So I had to do a whole bunch of classes to switch into it because I thought, you know, as a musician, like when am I ever going to need biology? But um, the tables turned and (laughs) so I had to go back and I did that through my local community college because it was really cost effective. And um, yeah, the credits were just the same as if I went in anywhere else. And then I did my speech specific classes through Northwestern. And those were also online uh, through their School of Professional Studies. And I did a couple of extra classes because um, ultimately when I ended up going to University of Iowa, they had specific classes they needed that I didn't get through Northwestern. I took those through Longwood University. So I've basically been like hopping through all these like different universities to get all my classes done, but eventually it all got done. So (laughs) that's the important thing.
0: That's that's tricky. And I feel like a lot of people have that experience. I know I took all of my chemistry and sciences at a community college. And then I took online classes at Utah state university. So it, a lot of people have this crazy mumbo jumbo of where they get all of their classes.
1: Hard. Cause all the requirements are different for every university. So you don't really know when you're applying what you're going to end up needing.
0: Exactly. And I did not know that at all. I didn't even know that when I started applying until I started reading, you know, the fine print. Um, so tell us a little bit about your experience being waitlisted at your top choices. I kind of for everyone listening, I kind of found Anne Marie on Instagram and fell in love with all of her crafty stuff and her artistry. And then I saw that she also wrote a blog post called Waiting Out the Waitlist, which kind of was what inspired me to ask
1: her to talk on the show. Yeah, I'm glad you found that. Um I wrote that I think around like last year because A lot of people ask me that question um, about being waitlisted because it's so competitive to get into speech-language pathology grad school that it's a very common thing to get waitlisted at a lot of schools, and you get that message that says, we reviewed your application and we think you are qualified for our program, however, we don't have room for you right now. And that can be really disheartening because it's hard to not take that personally when you're applying to schools. And I got into one school and that was the first thing I heard. So I was like riding pretty high at first. I was like, all right, I got into a school. This is good. And then everything that came back after that was just a wait list or a rejection. So that was really tough because I had like these high hopes of like, okay, well, maybe I'm going to get into all these programs. But it ended up the one that I got into was the only one that I got into. So um, yeah, it was just really disheartening. And I really liked the idea of going to the University of Iowa. And so I think it was my dad actually that told me to do this. I had taken, because I was putting together all this like mumbo jumbo of classes, I looked at Iowa's website and I saw the specific courses that they required that I didn't have. And I found a bunch of online universities that would let me take those courses over the summer before I would matriculate at their university. So I sent them this whole letter saying, okay, like, I am just like wondering if maybe this played into your decision. I have a list of places I can take these classes and a plan of how to do it. If um, you would like to talk to me further, like, please let me know. And I got an email the next day saying that they put my application back at the top of the pile and that it was going to be reviewed again. And I was like, oh my gosh, it worked. And then the next day I got an email saying they wanted to interview me. And then right after the interview, I got the email saying I was in. So it was just this crazy whirlwind of thinking like, there's no way I can get into any of these programs to all of a sudden I was admitted into like one of my top choices just from sending a simple email On something that I already told them I would do. I already said, like, oh, if you need me to take any additional courses, I'm more than willing to take it. But I think having that plan set in stone really made the difference with that. So, yeah.
0: Wow. So that's just so crazy because I think a lot of times we think of it as sort of this black or white once they tell you there's nothing you can do. And especially, you know, University of Iowa is one of the top programs in the country. So I'm sure that was also like, they're kind of a formidable force that you Mm -hmm. don't feel like you can reach out to. So I'm just, first of all, amazed that you had the confidence and just really decided to do that. I never would have thought of that, but yeah, what a difference it makes to them that you're so passionate about going to their program that you're willing to do whatever it takes. That's really cool. Um, So what would be your best advice to students who are, currently in the situation of being waitlisted?
1: I think, I mean, there's a lot of different things you can do, but I think it doesn't hurt to reach out, especially if you can show that you're passionate about like their program specifically and that you have something to build on your application from the last time that they saw you. So it kind of gives you that excuse saying like, okay, well, when you saw my application, this is true. But since I last like sent in my application. I've been doing this many volunteer things. I've registered for this extra class. So having something you can put on top of that, because it really doesn't hurt because the worst they can say is you're still waitlisted, which would have happened anyway. And I also didn't know that you could reach out to schools because I like being a career changer student. I had applied for jobs and when you apply for jobs It's kind of a different thing. You can send a bunch of emails and like show them what you're doing and schools It's like this whole different facade. It's very unclear how the process works You send in all of your stuff and then a bunch of people sit around at a table and like decide whether you're good or not Like there's it's very unclear. So it feels like you can't do anything. It feels like you have no power But the schools ultimately they're just people looking at your application. So It doesn't hurt to just reach out and be polite and be friendly and show what you have to offer.
0: Yeah, that's awesome advice. So now you're in graduate school. You're almost done. Mm -hmm. Uh, So congratulations, by the way. That's so exciting. Thanks. Um, So what would you say was your biggest challenge and your biggest triumph while in grad school?
1: That's such a tough question. There's a lot of challenges with grad school. Um, I mean, the obvious ones are just like the coursework and the clinic work and balancing everything, time management. Um, It's just a lot all at once. And because our program is so short, we don't have like a three-year program or a four-year program. Everything is really condensed which is the positive of that is that you get out into the world faster and you can start actually doing the job you're passionate about quicker. But that's really challenging um, in and of itself. But I think one of the biggest challenges for me going in was coming from a different field and being on the wait list. I had this like sense of, inferiority when I just started right off the bat because everybody else got in right away. They were like the top choices and I felt like I was like the backup. Like I was the one that they were like, oh, we've got a spot, like I guess we'll take this one. And because I did it myself and I emailed, I was like, I probably wouldn't have even gotten in here if I didn't just send like an email. So that kind of like played into everything that I did the first semester. I felt like so stressed out that I had to prove myself to everybody and everything that I said that was like slightly dumb or I like didn't understand I was like really self-conscious of because I was at this top program but I felt like an average student on the inside so I think um kind of answering both of the questions I think my biggest triumph was when I started to see myself as an actual student that belonged there And, you know, felt like I fit in with all my classmates and like looked around and was like, wow, I'm surrounded by like brilliant people. And we're all like in this together, like we're all the same. So that was, I think, one of the hardest things of going into grad school and whether like whatever background you come from, I think that happens to a lot of people. And you feel like you have to put on this front of like, I know everything and I'm really smart and I'm going to be an amazing SLP right away when it's okay to show that you're insecure and that you don't quite know what you're doing yet because you are in grad school to learn. If you knew enough to already be an SLP, you would need to be there. So everybody there is getting the same education.
0: Okay, that's very helpful advice for me as well, because I'm an out of major applicant. I'm starting in the fall. So I definitely already feel a little bit of that like I'm not going to know as much as everyone else. Um, so that's really helpful. And then tell us a little bit about how and why you received
1: your ASHA award. Yeah. So, um, I got an email, I think from someone in the department that there's this ASHA award available and, um, And I just kind of clicked on it and read about it. And it was for students who are interested in research and academia. And I've always kind of had this dream of being a college professor because I love speech pathology. Obviously, I have like an Instagram and an Etsy dedicated to it. And I love talking about it. So I was like, that would be a great career fit for me. And I don't really know that much about it yet. So I wanted to just take the opportunity. And I talked to my thesis advisor about it, and I sent the link to her, and I was like, hey, do you think this is something that I could maybe apply for? And uh, she was, you know, really enthusiastic about it, and it's good experience with, you know, writing essays, making budgets, all that stuff. So I had to write an essay about myself and why I think I would be a good fit for, like, a research or academic role. And then I also had to do like a budget of what I would do with the grant money and how I would use it for professional development. And I sent that into ASHA and I really didn't expect anything of it. I just thought, um, I'll just fill out this application. And like, if it's meant to be, then maybe I'll, you know, then maybe I'll consider doing research more seriously, but like maybe not. Mm-hmm. And I was also not sure that my professors would be so eager to help me but then I realized like the professors their whole job is to like help you develop as a student and help you develop professionally so if you go to them with an opportunity you're really excited about they it would be remiss if they like didn't help you with that so they were so excited to help me with it and help me look over my application and edit it and really make it stronger than it would have been if I just did it myself. And I also reached out to other people who had won the award. So if anyone is thinking of applying for it, you're free to message me and ask for like tips and stuff about applying because I think that really helps too.
0: Okay, awesome. That's really cool. So do you think um, you want to go into research or maybe one day do
1: that? Yeah, that's definitely something I'm thinking about in the future. But My mantra for grad school was that I was just going to focus on being the best clinician that I could be while I was in grad school, get research experience if I could, because um, there's so much that goes into that besides just wanting to do it. It's like a career choice and like a life change. So I just thought, you know, this is something I'll keep open and I'll pursue it. And, you know, if I keep getting positive responses back, then I'll follow it further. But I love the field enough that I don't feel like I have to do that to be, um, like happy or successful, but it's something that I would definitely be interested to do in the future. Awesome.
0: Um, you also presented at ISHA. So could you tell us, first of all, what is ISHA? And then tell us a little bit about presenting.
1: Yeah, so I, I get them confused all the time because I went to Iowa. So there's Aisha at Iowa and then in Illinois, it's Isha. So I presented at Isha a poster presentation and that was another like student research um, award type thing. And my thesis advisor actually found that opportunity. So she sent it over to me and then we put together an application for it and it was to present a poster in their poster um, session so that was another thing where just having those opportunities or having like good faculty that are looking out for their students and finding those opportunities just really pays off and it was another thing that I didn't really like I was like oh maybe I'll do this like maybe they'll accept me and then you know they did so it was a really awesome opportunity I got to talk about my thesis project with a bunch of SLPs from my area. So that was really exciting to get to talk to them and like hear people's feedback. I think that was my favorite part was hearing other people's take on my project because when you're so close to a research project for so long, you just get tunnel vision and you're only thinking of like what you need to do to finish it and what your stats are and what results you're looking for. So hearing other people just take it and twist it in a totally different way was really cool and gave me a lot of ideas for future projects. Yeah. So what did you, what was your thesis? So it sounds really fancy. Quantifying motor stability in singing and speech is the title. So basically we have this um, giant sensor camera, which is the OptiTrack. And we use that to track the articulation. And we had singers and non-singers sing and speak Um, under a variety of different conditions and then we looked at the stability of their movements over time to see if there were any differences in singing and speech so looking to see if singing differs from speech with art like in regards to articulation
0: wow that's so cool that you're able to bring in like both of your passions together kind of that you're still able to incorporate singing a little bit into your um, speech pathology career that's really cool,
1: yeah, and when I first started um like talking to people when I was interested in doing a thesis, the first person I talked to was my thesis advisor, and she said um that she was doing this project about speech and singing, and it sounded so perfect that like she was the first person I talked to, and I was yeah. like okay I'm in like this sounds like a good project for me to be working on like I get to And I think the other special part about it is that my thesis advisor, she's a musician, but she's not a singer. So I got to provide a lot of feedback on the singer side. So I felt like I was, um, valuable. Like I didn't feel like I was just tagging along to their research project. I felt like there were a lot of suggestions that I could make that other people didn't have that knowledge to, um, give. So that was another reason why I'm really glad I chose that project, but it is, it's a lot of, um, complicated, like motor stability is just a really niche area of the field. That's very, um, yeah, complicated. And it was really challenging to understand, but it just taught me how to tackle really difficult problems. So the positives and negatives of that, you know, they balanced each other out. What is
0: your advice to future SLPs who are hoping to get involved
1: in research? I would say talk to the faculty at your school and see if there's any projects going on that you're excited about um and that's really the best way i think to get involved is just to talk to people and see what they're doing and if you have any ideas you can bring them to people and usually they'll point you in the right direction like if you go to someone and you're like i would love to do this research on um, articulation they'll point you towards the right researcher for that and even if you can't take your own idea and make it into a thesis because it's such a short program that's really really challenging you'd have to just really be really lucky and find the right um faculty person who's like about to start a research project and willing to work with you in like two years and get this whole thing done so it's okay to not do like your dream research project or have it be a hundred percent your idea because I talked to my thesis advisor and she already had this project in the works before I jumped on so don't Feel limited by the fact that you have to do something that's exactly the question that you're interested in researching on. Think of it as you're learning how to do research, if that's something that you're interested in doing in graduate school. And then
0: do you have any other advice or anything you'd like to add or talk about?
1: Hmm. (laughs) That's tough because there's so many things with (laughs) SLP grad school, but I think my biggest piece of advice is to go in it with an open mind and, um, don't doubt your abilities because if you got into SLP grad school, you can handle it. It's just a matter of, um, just really being confident in yourself and like believing in yourself a lot of the times, because when I started off, I thought there's no way, but I know as much as the people around me. And then we all graduate with the same degree and we all have very similar knowledge. So yeah, just don't doubt yourself when you're starting out. And um, if you got into SLP grad school, congratulations. And if you're still trying to get in, um, don't give up. There's plenty of things that can happen if you are proactive and reach out to people, you never know.
0: Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. You had so much helpful advice and just like a really cool perspective to bring to the field. So thank you so much.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the sunshine speechy podcast. If you think you have important advice or experiences to share, feel free to email me or reach out to me through my website about being featured on a future episode. Sunshine speechy.